Welcome to the 71st episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a recap of Patrick's weekend predictions, revealing our top 10 in our preseason college football rankings, and a big content announcement. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And as always during these summer months, all of the predictions are in Major League Baseball. Let's start with the Giants taking two of three from the A's, with Patrick correctly picking the Giants to win that series. The Rays took two of three from the White Sox. Patrick incorrectly picked the White Sox to win that series. The Astros took two of three from the Mariners. Patrick correctly picked the Astros in that series. And finally, the Phillies took two of three from the Padres, and Patrick correctly picked the Phillies, meaning Patrick went three and one in his Major League Baseball predictions and three and zero overall in this weekend's predictions bringing him to 158 and 119 overall, a 57.0 winning percentage this season. Patrick, your thoughts? Well, I will start all the way back at the top with that Giants series. Two pinch hit go-ahead home runs with the Giants down by one in the first game, in the second game, I should say, of the series by Lamont Wade Jr. and then by Donovan Solano to win game three of this series. It really easily could have been a sweep in the A's favor. But the prediction goes my way, so I am happy about that. Although, of course, as Dodgers fans, maybe not as happy as I could be. But at the same time, that's what I signed up for, picking the Giants. Got to take some joy in it every once in a while, I guess. Uh, and I had also picked against them way too many times. And if I'm going to pick against them with the with them playing the Astros and then and then be wrong about it, I'm, I'm not going to pick them to, to lose to the second-place team in that same division. So... I thought it would be a mistake to pick against the Giants this weekend, and, well, it almost was a mistake to pick them for the first time in what feels like forever, but uh, it did work out in my favor that I did end up picking them, and by the way, that's one of their staples of the season, has been winning a lot of close games, so this is not exactly something that uh, was unexpected when I picked this series. Uh, every single time, I mean, it was it was one to nothing, and I was thinking, they're probably going to find a way to win this game just because they've literally not scored a single run in the eighth inning. I would be I would have been very surprised if the Giants got shut out in the final game of that series, uh, considering how important it was. And maybe if they were doing a little bit of scoreboard watching, seeing that the Dodgers were losing in LA at the same time, probably was probably was a little bit of an extra uh, momentum piece for them to play a little bit better. Then in the Rays series, look, it, it, I, I should stop picking the White Sox. Uh, the knock on them this year has been that they are bad against teams, not bad, but not very good against teams above 500, especially for a team of their record. And uh, I keep ignoring that and just picking them anyway. Last week it didn't work out for me. This week it didn't work out for me. It worked out for the week before because they were playing the Cubs. Um, <laughs> but it did not work out the week before that, if, if I remember correctly, or at least the last time I picked them before that. So, uh, I, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. But at the same time, I did not sign up for anything that happened in the series because Tim Anderson did not play the last two games of the series. I picked the White Sox because I thought they would get one or two, one of the two first games in the series before they pitched against, they played against Chris Archer, and then I thought they would beat up Chris Archer, but... Chris Archer got injured after the second inning and left the game, so it turned into a bullpen game for the Rays, who, by the way, have a really good bullpen and do really, really well when they pitch in bullpen games. So again, not what I signed up for when I picked the White Sox, but at the same time, got to deal with it. Uh, And the White Sox, really, they should have won the first game very, very easily. They had a 4-2 lead. They squandered that lead. Tim Anderson saved them with a game-tying home run that got them into extra innings. They won pretty luckily in extra innings after not scoring. They didn't even score the uh, 
the gimme runner on second. Uh, the I don't even know what they call. I don't know what the official term is for it, but the runner that they place on second at the beginning of uh, extra innings innings. So they didn't even score that runner, and then they got lucky that the Rays couldn't do that. Couldn't do that themselves. They won in the eleventh inning, but other than that, not much success in the series. Only scored actually scored nothing in Game Three of the series and lost eight to nothing. So a pretty bad series from the White Sox. Uh, and we talked about it on Friday that it would be important for them to make up some ground for home field advantage in that series, and they did not do it. Uh, the Rays taking some games and obviously moving even forward ahead, uh, even farther ahead, I should say, in their lead over the White Sox. Then in the Astros and Mariners series, which was very important for that division, the Astros just blew out the Mariners. Uh, there's no way around this. 12-3 to and 15-1, to the Astros won the first two games of the series. Not even close. Then the Astros, I thought we were heading for that same course again in Game 3 of the series. They were already up 2 to nothing. I believe it was the third inning, and they were already up 2 nothing. They had the bases loaded, did not score. That was their opportunity to blow the game open. They missed the opportunity. The Mariners come, came back to tie it 2-2. Two to two. Uh, in, literally with a solo home run in the ninth inning down to their last three outs. And then they ended up winning it in extras off of off the back of a Kyle Seeger three-run home run. Uh, they won that game 6-3. to three. So the Mariners do salvage a game. Uh, and they actually do stay even with the A's in the wild card and in the division at the end of this week because of the fact that the A's lost those, th- those two games to the Giants. So in the end, they actually stay pretty even in the wild card. And by the way, the Red Sox aren't playing too well right now either. So... It's not. It's not like they're actually losing much ground. And by the way, the A's are actually tied with the Red Sox for that second wild card spot. Uh, obviously, the Yankees taking the first one right now. Uh, but that's a little bit too much about other series. Let's move on to the last one. That's also important to the wild card. Uh, the Reds are saying a huge thank you to the Phillies as the Reds now move into the second wild card spot because the Phillies took two of three from the Padres. Uh, the Phillies could have swept easily. The Padres could have won two out of three easily. Instead, we end up with the Phillies taking two out of three from the Padres. The Phillies had a no-hitter for seven and a third innings and didn't even give up the no-hitter until the game-tying RBI in game two of the series, then proceeded to lose that game in extra innings off of a wild pitch. A pretty crazy game, pretty fun game to watch, honestly. Uh, and then in, in game one of the series, the Phillies won another close one. It was four to three. I'm working kind of backwards here. And then in Game 3, the Phillies blew it wide open. They were up 7-1. to one. But then in the end, the Padres actually loaded the bases, got a bases-clearing double, brought up the top of the order. It was the bottom of the order doing all the damage. They brought up Grisham and with Tatis on deck as the game as the game-tying run. But they got, they got uh, Grisham out, and that ended that game. And luckily that series, because I remember telling you, if they don't get Grisham out... Tatis is tying this game because that just always seems to happen. And if he didn't do it, they'd be they'd be walking him somehow. And then Machado would have done it, or he would have won the game for them. So uh, the, the the Phillies got lucky, honestly, that they even escaped that series. They they blew too many opportunities to deserve to win it. But at the same time, both teams slumping. The Padres in the middle of the week couldn't beat the couldn't beat the Rockies, and the Phillies this week couldn't beat the Diamondbacks. So I really had a hard time figuring out who I would pick. Because I was like, I mean, these teams are both slumping. They both lost to the bottom of the NL West, which has three really good teams, but also has two really bad teams, especially when you talk about the Rockies on the road. Uh, So 
I didn't know who to pick, and you know what? I gambled, and I got it right, so I'll take it. And 3-1 and one this week is pretty good. Yeah, good week for Patrick. Um, that uh, wraps up our look back at this weekend's, past weekend's predictions. Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday, 4thand24.com. Now let's move over to uh, college football, When uh, where last week, in anticipation of the start of college football this upcoming Saturday, last week we revealed... Um, numbers 11 through 25 in our preseason top 25. So now we're going to turn our attention to our preseason top 10. Patrick, who you got? Well, I'm going to do this in the uh, the college playoff format way, where you build up all the suspense by going 10 to 1 instead of 1 to 10, because of course you have to do that. Uh, I will start with number 10. I picked Notre Dame. At number 9, I picked North Carolina. Number eight, I have Cincinnati, who you had way outside of the top ten. We already had this debate, so we're going to be skipping over this one on this podcast. Uh, Seven, I have Texas A&M. Six, I have Iowa State. Five, I have Ohio State. Four, I have Georgia. Three, I have Oklahoma, contrary to the AP's belief, which is that Oklahoma is barely better than Clemson, I think by ten points in their system, which is one of the smallest differentials I think I've ever seen between number two and number three, especially in recent years with how good Alabama and Clemson have been. And I'm sure, as you can guess, the top two being Alabama and Clemson. However, I do have Clemson number two and Alabama number one. All right. And um, a lot of similarity at the top, but let's start at the bottom. Some differences. I have Florida number 10. I have Wisconsin number nine. Who I believe I had those teams 12 and 13 last weekend, something like that. And I have North Carolina number eight. Um, Texas A&M like you at seven. Iowa State like you at six. I've got Georgia and Ohio State flip-flopped as, as the, versus you. I have Georgia at five, Ohio State at four. Um, again, I'm you know it, it, you're splitting hairs when you come to those teams. I think uh, then three Oklahoma. Although you'll say Georgia has more experience at quarterback. Um, three Oklahoma, two Clemson, one Alabama. I agree with you. Um, we can talk about a bunch of teams. If there's one team I think in my top ten that is the least likely to be in the top ten. At the end of the year, um, I've got an idea who that is. Maybe we'll pose that question to you, or maybe I'll give you mine. Well, I think mine is Notre Dame, just because I believe, well, there, there's actually two of them. Uh, I believe the teams that play the easy schedules often have a chance to fall out of it easier, because when they lose, it's a very big deal. <laughs> it's, the, it's like, I mean, you, if Notre Dame loses to, let's say, Virginia Tech, we don't have them ranked at all. Everybody will go crazy like the world is ending. Um, whereas if Alabama loses, I mean, this is just an example, but if Alabama loses to LSU, okay, maybe they fall to five in the playoff rankings from one. Maybe they only fall to four. It'd be hard to see them falling very far. I mean, this has happened in the past too. Uh, Georgia loses to Clemson at the beginning of the year. Where do they move? I don't think they move at all, frankly. (laughs) Maybe they move below Ohio State and that's it. I wouldn't be very surprised they didn't move at all, depending on where they start and what polls you're talking about. So... Uh, with those teams, it's very hard for them to fall out of the top 10 because they play hard schedules. Notre Dame, if you lose to Virginia Tech, it'll be crazy. If you lose to one of those ACC, uh, another ACC team that they're playing, uh, I forget exactly which ones. I think they play Miami, actually, too, which it's either Miami or North Carolina that they play. Uh, it, you know, it, it's not exactly, it, it, it'll affect them a lot more. Uh, and a lot, And by the way, there is a syndrome when it comes to Notre Dame that every single time they lose, it's always a big deal. And I don't know why. It's probably because of the whole scheduling thing. But every single time they lose is a big deal. They play, they play Wisconsin, too. That's another game they could lose. Uh, 
I also think Cincinnati is in that boat too because Cincinnati plays a few hard games that maybe not necessarily they shouldn't be playing, but I think it's great that they're trying to challenge themselves because they want to be in the playoff. And I mean, I guess their idea is, look, we lose those two games, we go 10-2, and we would have gone 12-0 and with an easier schedule, that's great. But at the same time, if we are able to win those two games, yeah. we're going to put ourselves in the playoff, which is one of those things that normally they don't get in because of that. Uh, because they don't have that great of a schedule playing in the American, but because they are they are playing two tough games, I'm blanking on the teams right now, but they are playing two really tough games, and I remember that. Uh, if they if they do win those games, then all of a sudden you have them in the playoff probably because they played a hard enough schedule, something that UCF failed to do in the season where they went 12-0, and uh, and then they complained about it and ended up number five. And by the way, probably could have been in the playoff, but that's a different topic. I think... When you say the Georgia and Ohio State thing is splitting Harris, I think that's a, I think that's an understatement. I actually do think there is a huge difference between having an experienced quarterback who has been, who was at USC for a while, uh, and by the way, he was JT Daniels was playing was playing almost in the Rose Bowl when yeah. CJ Stroud was playing as a sophomore in high school. So there's a lot more experience on Georgia's end. By the way, Stroud was named the starter two weeks ago. Or two days ago, actually, not even weeks ago. Even if it was only few, even if it was only a few weeks ago, it'd still be crazy. But JT Daniels, that offense at the end of last year was ridiculous for Georgia. They really got a lot better. And by the way, frankly, they were playing with like a third string quarterback, a third string level quarterback, I'd say, for a top five team. And they still only had two losses before Daniels got in, and then they ended up ranked, I think, fifth or sixth at the end of the year. Daniels really made that offense really, really click, and they didn't lose much from last year. All their weapons got older, uh, and it's, you know, same coaching staff. They haven't had much turnover. It's not like Alabama where everybody's poaching their staff every year, so I think they have all the pieces in place. This, I think, is probably Georgia's best chance to be in the playoff. Yeah, and one of their best teams they've had most experience. Oh, for sure. It, it's at least the second-best team, only second to the team that made the national championship and was and was an overtime away from winning, yeah, and a 2 all away from winning, I should and, say. And I think Ohio State, that inexperienced quarterback, could come to bite them very early in the season um, against Oregon. So if they get past right. that game, they're in good shape. They'll the, the quarterback will gain maturity over the course of the year. The team I'm talking about is Iowa State, uh, for the very reason that you mentioned, where Iowa State... If they they are now the hunted, they you know I don't know if they, a lot of times programs don't know how to deal with success, and every team in the Big Twelve is going to be gunning for them. And if they lose to a Big Twelve team not named Oklahoma, they are going to plummet in the polls. The reason you stated for other teams, I think they could afford a loss to Texas though. Yeah, I I I think Iowa State is very. I I, I don't. I'm very nervous. If you ask me, which one of these teams do I think I have? Potentially overrated. It's it, the most overrated is Iowa State. I think Iowa State could very, very well end up. They have a lot of returning talent, but I think because of the schedule that they play and people gunning for them, and you know they now having the target on their back and not being used to it, I think they could easily fall to you know fifteen to twenty slot by the end of the year. I don't know by actual production how much they returned, but all I know is that Iowa State maintained a quarterback, a running back. A wide receiver, their number one wide receiver, and their starting tight end. And frankly, some teams go entirely off of that and become really good teams. You could look at an Ezekiel Elliott team at Ohio State that did that same thing. 
they they have those guys returning and you know the program overall i think they did return a lot of players i'm not exactly sure how many uh but they i i do i do think there was a case to be made for a&m over them uh i think by the end of the season you could even see oregon making the playoff if they get as you said if they're able to beat ohio state if oregon beats ohio state that'll put the only statement that they need on their resume i'm going to be quite honest i don't have them losing any other games looking at their schedule other than maybe the game at Washington, but between those two teams, Washington and Oregon both have out-of-conference games against top dogs in the Big Ten, and other than that, they're only going to lose against each other, barring crazy Pac-12 after dark stuff, but at the same time, it is the Pac-12, so that's probably going to happen, but if you want to go off of what it should be, Oregon and Washington should only lose to each other, and in Washington's case, only maybe at Michigan, and in Oregon's case, maybe only at Ohio State. So... I believe that Oregon, honestly, could just push any of these teams out just by beating the other teams there. Uh, but by the way, going back to it, I did I did find it. The two teams that Cincinnati is playing, they are playing Indiana on the road, and in their next game, they are playing Notre Dame on the road. So they clearly scheduled this year with the intention of saying, we're starting at number eight for most people, for me, for the AP, uh, in that range. And they think that playing Indiana, Notre Dame, and then everybody that they get thrown out them in the AAC... That should be enough to make them to put them into the playoffs if they're able to win those two games. Uh, they do have a bye week in between, which is something interesting, interesting. that uh, is very helpful because I was going to say if they play them back to back, there's no way they're winning both of them. I think that Indiana game is very winnable for them. I, I think it is. I agree with you. I, I I don't know if I necessarily do have them winning that game, but it would be. It is a very winnable game. Uh, it really depends on how Indiana is in the first few weeks of the season. Maybe if they have some momentum from, I know Indiana, I believe, plays Iowa in the first week of the year. So if they have some momentum from playing Iowa and beating Iowa on the road, I, I don't think they'd lose to Cincinnati at home. But if they lose to Iowa, maybe, I don't know, it, it, you know, it's college football. It could really go either way. It could either make them more motivated or it could make them start to doubt themselves a little bit. Uh, and by the way, Indiana kind of has that syndrome of being the hunted for the oh, first yeah. time I, ever. I think I, it, also, and Indiana had, I mean, look, Indiana season was propelled last year by the fluke win over Penn State, controversial ending to the game, replay two point conversion, whether they got in, whether they didn't get in. Anyway, they they rewarded the game, the win. That really helped them. They had a few other close games. Last season was a crazy season. I think they they like Iowa State. It'll be very interesting to see how they perform as the hunted rather than the hunter. And also, I would say the other thing that I would like to say about Cincinnati is Cincinnati has more talent than Notre Dame. And this is not something that I would normally say. They normally don't have more talent than a team like that. Notre Dame's best re- returning player is Michael Meyer, and he's just a tight end. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doubting tight ends. Travis Kelsey, I'm not, or George Kittle, no offense to you guys, but like a tight end can't carry a team. He needs somebody to throw him the ball. Uh, and by the way, Ian Book is not back. The one difference that I that I am and it's very confusing why you have North Carolina at eight, but you don't value Cincinnati at all. Cincinnati has one of the best returning quarterbacks in the country in Desmond Ritter. They really do. Uh, and that and by the way, not just a returning quarterback, he's been starting for a very long time. He's the reason why they've gone, why they went, why they went all the way to that bowl game against Georgia last year and were undefeated heading into that game and almost beat the potent Georgia team that now we're talking about as Georgia's best team in five years over a team that almost won, that was literally a Tua Tagovailoa away from winning a national championship. We're saying that this Cincinnati team barely lost 
to that Georgia team who's almost as good as a national championship winning team. Maybe it's reaching a little bit, but there's a lot of talent there. And at the same time, four weeks into the year, playing a quarterback who, ha- who has no experience, they, they're favored early in the year. And that's what I also like about Cincinnati is that I do think there's a high chance that they do fall out because they lose both of those games and they don't really have many chances to rebound back because they don't really play anybody too good. Uh, but at the same time, they win those two games. They could easily win those two games because they have experience that Indiana and Notre Dame don't. I mean, Indiana, I think, right, is returning. Yeah. Uh, but he I'm pretty sure he got injured, though, last year. So right, he's, he's he, coming off an injury. I'd much rather be playing with a returning quarterback who's one of the Heisman favorites than be returning quarterback with an injury and be and have a new starter after a playoff team last year. Because, by the way, Notre Dame is also one of the hunted now because they made the playoff. Yeah. And Notre Dame, as you said, replacing Ian Book with uh, Jack Jack Cohn transfer from Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, so that's why that's actually why I don't have Notre Dame in my top ten. I think they have a huge drop off at the quarterback position this year. Although I don't think I, I think you're a little too low on Jack Cohn, and I also don't think that Notre Dame runs the most sophisticated offense in the world, and I don't think that it's going to be. Too much of an adjustment from Wisconsin's offense either. I think it's actually a pretty good fit. This is not a transfer where you see a Big Ten ground and pound quarterback going to an SEC team. Like it's not. It's not like somebody's going from uh, Iowa to Ole Miss or anything. <laughs> it's a pretty similar program, pretty similar, uh, pretty similar style of play. But at the same time, I do agree with you. There is a drop off for sure. Uh, and really, I think it also comes down to who else is in the re- is on the rest of the team too. And I think Notre Dame lost a lot of guys on defense, too, which is pretty important. And by the way, again, early in the season, I think the two things that are exploited the most, lack of experience and bad defense. And I think that Notre Dame could really have the combo of that, and that could derail their whole season losing to Cincinnati early. And by the way, that could propel Cincinnati's whole season, the fact that they have those things shored up to begin the season, which is another thing. And look... It is a very variable season. No, no uh, onomatopoeia intended. All right, and there, the only the other team we haven't spoken about is Florida, who uh, I have a tenth, and that you don't have in the top ten. And Florida lost a ton of talent on offense, which so is I'm, why I, I just I can't know, put them I, in the I, top ten. So I'm, to me, you know, Florida, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, North Carolina—they all kind of have enough faults where you can kind of put them in that, you know, put them in the bag, shake them up in any kind of order. Although I don't see Cincinnati as having enough faults to be at 15, which is where you had them. I don't think they're that good. I think that they won a lot of games against lesser talent last year, and then they played a bowl game. In the bowl games, it's all about whether you're interested in being there. It was their freaking Super Bowl. Um, Georgia, Georgia was playing pretty hyped up. They, yeah. Georgia, I mean, Georgia sparked a comeback in that game. They weren't winning that game for most of it, so they to clearly me, had any something. Any SEC in it. team that doesn't make the playoff, you always wonder if they're going to show up for the bowl. Game. Also, we've seen a Georgia team quit on a bowl game. It was against Texas two years ago. We know what we know what Georgia quitting in a bowl game looks like, and it wasn't that. And it wasn't like that last year. I could be wrong about Cincinnati. Frankly, I'll be happy if I'm wrong about Cincinnati because they play some te- some teams I'd like to see them beat. And also, by the way, we did not really talk about Wisconsin. We talked about Jack Cohn a little bit. Tough but, uh, schedule for Wisconsin. So I, I just think that they're... They, that they're. You think that the talent level is number nine, but you wouldn't be surprised if they fell out by the end of the year because of the schedule? I actually think that the talent level is probably around 12, uh, but they play a tough schedule and they're going to get credit for that. So, uh, again, you, you and but I... But it's a, a little, preseason ranking. I know you and I took a little bit of a different tact here. I, I did most of my picks on where I thought people you know, were going to end up if I had to choose between teams that were in a similar basket. Okay, fair enough. That's all. And yeah. frankly, I like I said, sitting here looking at Iowa State, I 
that could easily, like I said, Iowa State could easily be at the end of the year fifth top number fifteen to twenty. Yeah, but I think also another thing about the Big Twelve this year is that I don't see much behind Oklahoma and Iowa State to actually trip them up. I don't think there's a lot of teams <laughs> behind them. I think this is probably the worst Texas team in five or six years, and most of those teams have gone seven and five or eight and four to begin with. Uh, an interesting game for Iowa State is against Iowa well, in the second week of yeah, the season. Always a tough game. But they have that game at home this year, which is really, really important, and one of the reasons why I don't think they'll be falling that far. And they drew a really good schedule, except for the fact that they play Oklahoma on the road. But other than that, they, they got Texas at home, they got Oklahoma State at home, and they have TCU at home, who are pretty much the three clear-cut teams that are behind Oklahoma and Iowa State. So frankly... You tell me I'm playing road games at Baylor, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Oklahoma. I say, okay, fine, I'll take my loss at Oklahoma, and I'll take my wins at home over Iowa and Texas and end up with a good season. And Although I will say, I don't I don't know exactly how hard it is to win at Iowa State because they haven't really been exactly... In front of 45,000 screaming Cyclone fans? I don't know. I mean, look, they haven't... Well, you know about Hilton Magic and basketball, though, so you know those yeah. fans can get no, crazy. No, they, they, they pulled off. They pulled off a few upsets. I'm joking. They pulled off a few upsets there. Although I would bet that, given uh, the history of this series and the fact that maybe these, I don't know when these tickets are bought. I would get bet that Iowa State Iowa game is probably two thirds Iowa State fans, one third Iowa fans. In possible. That game. It's possible. Uh, so there's another team we haven't talked about here. Texas A&M. We haven't mentioned them at all. They're, they're an enigma. It's really weird. I think you can't rank them below a certain point because of how good they were last year, but at the same time, you can't rank them above a certain point because they lost their quarterback. Uh, the it, the other thing is they do return all of the talent around that was around Kellen Mond last year. They just don't have Mond back. Their defense is probably better than it was last year because they always recruit very well, uh, and I think that Jimbo Fisher has really started to get his legs under him there, and I feel like all the hot seat talk that might have been there, it's gone because of what they did last year. And uh, I, I really think this could be, again, like a Georgia, this could be the year for them. Although I think that the only thing that you can ever look at with Texas A&M is do they play Alabama at home or do they play them on the road? Or does uh, it matter? And this year it is at home. So I would argue this is the best chance they have to be really great. But at the same time, last game of the year at LSU, who is arguably the third best team in the, in the SEC. You have Florida above LSU. I think I have them in similar places. I think I actually ranked them 11 and 12, if I remember correctly, from the last podcast. And by the way, they also play the 60-point-a-game Ole Miss, but also 70-point-a-game give up Ole Miss on the road two weeks before that LSU game. So... They could really, I mean, I could see A&M going 9-3. I could re- I could really see them going 12-0, too. It, it's one of those seasons for, for them. And by the way, that's pretty much how the SEC works. It's basically just who do you draw on the road and can you beat the ones that you play at home. I don't think this team is going to be good enough to beat Alabama just because I think it's a little too late in the year for Alabama's lack of experience at quarterback to, be, to catch up with them too much. Uh, I think that when you get to week six, week seven of the year, I don't think that having a redshirt freshman quarterback is going to affect Alabama too much. I think Bryce Young will be already integrated. And unless Alabama's entire season is a massive flop, then they'll be fine in that game. And by the way, pretty sure they played them there last year. And I'm pretty sure they they had a close game, but then it wasn't close. As, as, as close as it was for a little bit, 
then it became not close. And look, I think A and M. I don't actually even know who they're who they're going to at quarterback, but I think I think at this point you trust them enough that I think they can turn it over. Their offense can end up being run run dependent a lot anyway. So I think they can make a lot of ground. I think I think that they can really <laughs> they can go in a lot of different places, which I think is another reason why we didn't discuss them because I don't think either of us wants to put an opinion on where they yeah, no, might end up. Yeah, Texas A&M, they're pretty good. They have talent. They had a great year last year. They have a good coach. Yeah, they're top 10 team. That's kind of my thought. But I think, like like you said, they're kind of actually similar to Notre Dame in that it's just we're, ba- we're basically saying, I mean, they had a good year last year. They have a good coach, and they have stuff in place. They lost their quarterback, but uh, there's enough somewhere, right? There's got to be something on that team that'll help them. And I mean, it is a lot. I mean, college football is a lot about college about about quarterback play, which is why we have North Carolina in the top ten, returning Sam Howell. But at the same time, and why I have Cincinnati in the top ten, and why I have Georgia ahead of Ohio State. But at the same time, the team is not all made up by a quarterback, and that's why at the same time. Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, all starting quarterbacks who haven't played real. I mean, Clemson does have a quarterback who's played a few significant games. But for Bryce Young and for C.J. Shroud at Alabama and Ohio State, that's not the case. And at the same time, we still have them in the top five. So it's not exactly all the quarterback, but I think that A&M and, and Notre Dame are more fringe cases of believing in the stuff around them. I think you really can't say Alabama and Ohio State are outside of the top five. I think me putting them putting Ohio State at five is a stretch with how good they've been over the last what six or seven years. I mean, it's a stretch putting them that low. I would argue. So yeah, we probably both wouldn't have Oklahoma number three if they didn't have a returning quarterback. Exactly. So I mean, I think there's de- it does play a part in it, but at the same time, you can trust a program enough, and and I think A and M and Notre Dame are kind of on that fringe level where they they do sustain this level every year. Uh, except for AM is not always in the top 10, and Notre Dame's all, not, also not always in the top 10. They are definitely always both floating around it, always in the top 15. Uh, and I think just when you look back at last year, they might end up outside of it, but I think they'll still be able to float in this top 15 area. So yeah, they're a safe pick to put it to put at seven. And I think that's why we don't have them above Ohio, Iowa State because they don't have the returning production. But we also don't have them below teams. I mean, our 8, 9, 10 are completely different from each other. So I think there's a lot of weird stuff going on below A&M, and there's not much to trust. We've kind of sliced and diced uh, numbers four through ten. Let's let's anything you want to say about the top three that we again we have Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma. Anything about those three teams? Why in that order? I will say that uh, I mean I think there's an argument to be made for all three of these teams at number one. I think Alabama's argument is the program is the program. I think Clemson's argument is the program is the program, and our quarterback has two games up on 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 Bryce Jones, which is some it's an advantage or on Bryce Young I should say it's it is an advantage. And by the way, DJ I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. He did play at Notre Dame in a huge game for that team. He didn't win, but he did push a playoff team to double overtime on the road, which is something that no other quarterback in this top 10 can say, Uh, which is something also very, very important when you talk about experience. 
I would I would argue that the quantity of experience is just as important as the quality, and that game is a really high quality experience, even though it was a loss. And then he got to see how the team rebounded when Lawrence came back from that COVID, from from testing positive for COVID, and won that game the, the next week after, which I think was very very important. So I think you could make that argument for Clemson over Alabama, and then I think you could make the argument for Oklahoma saying they lost, they started the year one and two, won every single game. From there on out, who's to say they can't go on a win streak like Clemson had a few years ago? Because Rattler has Rattler has now really grown into that offense, and I think he's really started to figure it out. And by the way, it's best evidenced by the fact that one of the teams they lost to at the beginning of the year, they killed in the Big 12 championship game on the biggest stage they played on that year. They really do have a really, really good returning team, and I don't think they lost much around it. And by the way... Oklahoma has a defense, finally. A team in the Big 12 can play defense. This Oklahoma team, I'm not saying that it's necessarily a top five, top ten unit nationally. Okay. But all but respectable, that's all they but need. But Big 12 defenses, none of them are in the top 50 year to year. There's maybe one of them that's there. I think this is still a top this actually could be a top twenty-five defense. This team does not need an offense to carry it to be to be great it does need it to be a playoff team but they don't need it to be a top 10 team on its own so i think also people's arguments for oklahoma why not them most experienced for once actually more experienced than alabama and clemson and ohio state at quarterback and their momentum from last year plus the fact that this is the best defense they've had in a few years so there's really a lot Exactly, and there's clearly a lot of places that you can go. And by the way, their hardest opponent is Iowa State, and they got them at home. Yep. So uh, it, it, there is a lot of places you can go in this top three. I do think this is the top three, though, though, although I will say the AP clearly came to a different conclusion. They ended up with Oklahoma over Clemson, which is very, very strange. But I think I'm just going with the program continuity, the familiar pick to have Clemson at number two. And I do think that those two games were only two games, but at the same time, very important two games for Clemson. Okay, well, I think we've uh, talked about the top 10 uh, and who we have sort of on the fringes of it enough here, but we do have uh, another related topic to announce, and that is uh, some new website content that relates to the upcoming college football season. Patrick, you want to tell us about the, uh, the, the new website content? Well, this will not be uh, any new reoccurring thing, but at the same time, this will be one giant project that I've been working on for a while, which feels like I'm doing it weekly or even daily at some point. Uh, I'm definitely, I've definitely been working on it for a while, so what is it? Well, I decided that I would predict the entire college football season. There's an entire Excel spreadsheet that I have made, uh, just like I did with my bracketology throughout the year last year. Uh, where I just made an Excel spreadsheet that you would see anywhere else, uh, but this time not with a person breaking it up by conference or ha- with a larger media organization. It's just me predicting every single game in the NCAA. Uh, I have conference winners. I have some some helpful little graphs that that I that are some made up uh, percentages by uh, the Patrick Power Index. Uh, to show who I think has the most, uh, the best chance of making the playoff. I have the same thing for the conferences. There's a lot of stuff in there, but it is a spreadsheet that tells you who I think based on looking at their schedules. And it's not just random wins. It is actually calculated. It tells you who's winning against who and who's losing against who, depending on the record. Uh, it says every single game in the college football season, 
every single conference, not just the Power Five, all the way down to the independents, yes, all the way down to UConn, all the way down to New Mexico State, including Army, including Liberty, whoever you want to throw out, yes, I picked their games. And so uh, people will go on the website and see this, but it, it's not a, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's not a list week by week of the wins and losses. It is a spreadsheet organized by conference with the team's records, every team, your prediction of how they'll do in the conference and overall records, and then the key wins and losses that are built into their schedule that that, that, that came, made you come to those numbers. Not the key wins and losses, actually every single, I, I picked whichever number is more the quantity of losses or wins uh, is the number that I don't write. So for example, uh, throw out a team that I'll surprise, uh, there's a team that's 12 and others, like I think there's three or four of them, so I won't, I won't say who, but uh, you could probably guess it, but there are, any team that's 12 and 0 will have losses and it will just say none because you know who they beat. They beat everybody on their schedule. Uh, if it's an 11 and 1 team, such as maybe Oregon, it would say L and there would be a dash and it would say Ohio State. So it would list everybody who the team lost to. Or for another example, maybe a Michigan, it would say L, Wisconsin, Penn State. I don't, I don't know exactly who I have so them losing to, and I won't spoil it. So by process of elimination, you can figure out who, who exactly you yes. think to win every single you game. See, you see who they lost to, and by that, you see who they won against. And some of them are against uh, FCS or Division II teams. So that's if you're trying to add it up and check my math, no, there is not an even record across all of Division One because some of them don't play D1 teams such as the fact that Texas A&M plays Prairie View A&M uh, before they play LSU, a little warm-up game yep. <laughs> in between the games. Yeah. Um, okay, well, so that, that'll be fascinating to take a look at. And the other thing will be fascinating And yes, as you said, by the way, it is by conference. It's not by ranking or anything, yeah. although I do have predicted rankings by the end of the season. If, the, if my scenario played out in all of these wins, how would rank... Who would end up winning the playoff? Who would be in those matchups? And who would end up the national champions? And even some teams who would make bowl games who technically aren't bowl eligible. So check that check out that content uh, that will be on our website. But uh, we got to not forget at the end of the year to go back and look and see how well you did. I actually did start to track that from when I did this once before, but uh, it takes a very long time to track, but I will definitely actually look at it like the second the season ends this year. And no, it does not include bowl games, although I did do a mini playoff bracket just because because I can't predict who the no, bowl games are going to pick. You can't predict who uh, and, and also, it's in my perfect world scenario, so of course, literally if one game is off, the whole bowl game yes. system is going to shift. Be- so it is, but yes, it is a full every single game of the season by conference, I think it starts with the Big Ten and ends with the Independents uh, and every conference in between. It did start with the Power Five because obviously you want to see the, the biggest conferences first, uh, and then it's just it's and it is listed in the order of the standings that it would be in by the regular conference rules that they have set and tiebreakers and everything uh, with how I predicted it. Although I'm not going to change it during the year. Obviously, this is just something that. I'm standing it at the beginning of the year. You can see how stupid I look by the end of the year because one team I have going 10-2 and two is definitely going to go 5-7. and seven. Do you want to predict who that team is? No. Oh, okay. Just All a right. random guess. <laughs> All right, well... Uh, you would say it's Cincinnati. Well, I'm sure uh, people can spend hours digging into that prediction spreadsheet on the website. Um, so please go to our website and check that out um, with other Patrick's other additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games. And as MLB Power Rankings updates. On and by website. the way, I will do weekend predictions, and they will not be the exact same as the thing as the uh, as the prediction spreadsheet because, well, 
Georgia might look good one week, look good before the season, and then end up looking bad in week seven. So you never know. And no, I will not stick exactly to them because that would be a little bit too boring. Yeah, <laughs> especially as things evolve during the season. So please be sure to check out that uh, new content on the website, which will be posted on Wednesday at fourthand24.com. That will wrap this edition of the Fourth and Twenty Four podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, August 27th, where we will have our weekly analysis of MLB action and other news from the world of sports. But in the meantime, please do go to the website, 4thand24.com, to check out that new content, as we mentioned, that will be posted on Wednesday. Patrick's picks for next weekend's games and his Major League Baseball power rankings updates, which are posted on Saturdays. All of that at 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.